0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by
1: N2K. In this episode of Interview Selects, Dave Bittner sits down with Perry Carpenter to discuss his new book, The Security Culture Playbook, an executive guide to reducing risk and developing your human defense layer co-authored with Kai Rohr. Here's Perry.
0: So first, uh, my co-author, Kai Rohr, is an internationally well-known guy that has been studying security culture for most of his career. And so um, one of the things that we wanted to do with that is kind of merge our voices because Kai is well known is for his research into security culture. I'm pretty well known in my research for awareness and behavior. And as we come together, we can start to paint a lot more complete picture. But the other thing that really prompted this is nuance that's in the subtitle of the book. Um, And I know it's a really, really long subtitle, but there are three critical things in it that we tried to pack in. Um, Number one is an executive guide. And so this is meant not necessarily for the practitioner, but for the audience of a board of directors or a CIO or a CEO that really needs to understand that Security culture is important. It's something that lives and breathes in every organization, whether you know it or not. And so the question becomes, how intentional are you about the security culture that you have? How sustainable is that? What do you need to do about it? Um, and so that executive piece is is really critical. And our hope is that an executive picks that up, reads the first few chapters, and then says, oh, yeah, we need to to do something intentional with this. And then they hand it down to the person that can implement the vision that's explained there. The second piece that's in the title is reducing risk. And that really comes down to the fact that the entire reason that security exists isn't for the sake of security. And the entire reason that security awareness exists isn't for the sake of security. It's actually to reduce risk in an organization Um, and make the risk tolerable so that the organization can go forward and do the business that they've been formed to do. And so this is all about risk reduction and up-leveling the conversation to that executive level or board of directors level. And then that last piece is developing your human defense layer. And so this is about the human side of things because one of the charts that we show early on, is that there's a lot of spending that happens on the technology side of security. Every year we spend more and more on that, um, but data breaches are still going up. And when you look at the Verizon DBIR and other reports, the reason that we see the data breaches continue to go up has to do with the human side of things. And so uh, our argument is that we need to put more intention on that so that we can then reduce risk.
1: Can we take a a quick step back and and talk about the notion of security culture itself? I mean, one of the things you uh, explore in the book is this idea that uh, security culture has a a specific set of dimensions.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that we have different dimensions that we break security culture up into, and this is drawn from the social sciences. So we believe that you can measure any type of culture with this, but specifically we're looking at the security-related nuance and so we break security culture into seven different dimensions, attitudes, behaviors, cognition, communication, compliance, norms, and responsibilities. And one of the interesting things that we say in that is, yeah, as we measure that, we can see whether you're strong or you're weak in different areas, but that doesn't mean that all is lost or all is gained if you see one of those data points. So if you look at your aggregated security culture score and you're concerned about that, uh, you don't have to tackle all seven of those because each of these has a gravitational effect on the other. If If you're influencing cognition and giving people the right information to make the right decisions at the right time, You're probably also influencing their attitudes, and you're definitely influencing their behaviors if you see that come to pass. So you can strategically focus on one, two, or three of these, and you're going to be pulling the others along the way. There's another key thing that comes out in this book, and that is—and this is another reason behind why we created it in the first place— is there's a lot of and has been a lot of talk about quote unquote security culture for years. And people are using that phrase in articles and journals and conference presentations and, and everything else. The thing that was missing though is an actual definition of it. And what we found, um we actually um we at Know Before, so this is separate from from Kai and I, our our employer Know Before commissioned a study with Forrester a couple years ago. And what we wanted to understand was, do people really know what security culture is and do they value it? And we found that 94% of people value security culture. They believe that it's an important thing to reduce risk in their organization. But then we started to ask the more nuanced question of, what do you believe security culture is? And what we found was a a shocking fragmentation of what people believe it actually is. Some people believe security culture is following policies. Other people Mm -hmm. believe that it's the establishment of a security awareness program. Other people believe that it's shared responsibility across an organization. So the, the funny thing is, is that somebody like me could stand on a stage and say security culture is important, and everybody in the room can be nodding their heads Everybody believe that they're agreeing to the same thing, but everybody actually having a different conclusion of what that
1: means. Are those things mutually exclusive? I mean, can can they? Is there anything that keeps them from coexisting? Now, there's not not anything that keeps
0: it from coexisting. But the thing that w- that was shocking in that is the the segmentation that we saw in that somebody would believe that is wholeheartedly one thing that it's let, let's say following policies. And so, if I believe a good security culture is is following and mandating policies, I might go in pursuit of that in a way that it's absent of empathy um, and and maybe actually alienates my people in some way because I have this more authoritarian way of approaching it. Um, If I see it only as disseminating awareness-related information, I could do that in a way that potentially again, gives me a false sense of security because I'm getting the right information in front of people, but I might not be seeing the behavior follow-up with that. So again, there was this kind of shocking thing that we noticed, which was people are using this phrase over and over and over again, but without any definition behind that. And so that was leading to, I think, a lot of false assumptions um, with people in good faith believing that they're pursuing quote-unquote security culture, but they were doing it in a more narrow focus than really they needed to. And, and so they're they're putting all their faith in this one thing that they believe it to be, but kind of potentially ignoring a number of other things that it should be and that would have that gravitational effect to kind of move the culture where it needs to be. And so when we define security culture, um, we pull it from social science, very similar to the way that we pulled those seven different dimensions of culture and so we say security culture is the ideas the customs and the social behaviors of an organization that influence its security and that's deceptively simple but within that you do hear a few key terms here ideas so these are not just information but things that that permeate the people in the organization itself related to that uh, security aspect of things. The customs, so that's the lived out behaviors and the ritualized behaviors, the things that are caught rather than taught by people. So the things that you'll see and bring on through peer pressure or through on the job training that may not even be codified in a policy. Mm-hmm. And the social behaviors, um, and very, very similar in that. Uh, again, the things that uh, kind of the unwritten rules of the organization uh, that are just dictating the way that people live their security in that organization that can be positive or negative so we're not being prescriptive in that but your security culture is in each of those things and in each of those seven dimensions positive or negative across that again the the idea there is you have that security culture whether you want it or not it's do you have the one that you want or not.
1: You know you you pointed out that uh, in the subtitle of the book you say this is an executive guide how important is it that this comes from the top in an organization
0: I think it's vitally important because if people don't feel like they are being consistent with the leadership of an organization in their values and their beliefs and their the the lived out behaviors then there's a, a cognitive dissonance that comes in. Number one, they they always want to know that they're going to be supported in the decisions that they make and the actions that they take. So that being valued from the top uh, naturally starts to resonate down. The other thing is people don't like class systems, especially um, in the age that we're growing into right now and post-COVID. People do not like to see class systems in their organizations. So if there's one standard of behavior related to security that is pushed down to everybody else but not lived out within the executive ranks, people are going to rebel in different ways against that. So I think um, setting tone at the top is for sure really important, but there's also some nuance that you can add by finding people in the middle of the organization and even at the very bottom of the organization that have loud and clear voices within their social group, and you want to tap into them as well.
1: You know, I, I often I like to think uh, in analogies. It helps me to, you know, figure things out in my own mind sometimes. And sometimes when I'm thinking about security, I think about, you know, the the people who have a retail shop or something like that. And you'll sometimes see, you know, the person behind the cash register will say, "Well, it's not my job to stop people from stealing things off the shelf. that's the that's the security guard's job, you know, and I'm not going to I have enough to do. i'm I'm busy. My job is hard enough without having to deal with those things. And we've got people who we've hired just to do that. So why should I take my time to do that? How do we fight that mindset within, uh, you know, other organizations? That's a good question. So if you go
0: into that seven dimensions that we mentioned, there's two that come to mind there. One is um, attitudes, and then another one is cognition. And then, of course, norms is there too. So you can build that in as a norm, Um, And that goes into one of the definitions that people were giving security culture before, which is when I talked about that fragmentation and the way that people understood it, one of those was security is a shared responsibility. Yeah, it is that, but it's not only that. But when you talk about um, the thing that you were wanting to to get to— That shared responsibility piece of that as expressed in norms and is understood in cognition um, and is rightly taken on in the attitude dimension becomes really, really important because, yeah, I don't want the the cashier to just wash their hands of something that's dangerous. Or I don't want in my—let's say we're physically in an office and somebody comes in without a badge or somebody tries to tailgate behind me through the door— um, we don't want employees to wash their hands of that so one of the things that you have to do is find ways to instill that social norm of the way that we do things here is is we all take responsibility and you have to model that out from the top also in the middle and at the bottom of the organization through people that that have social standing and so you model that uh, you build that into your norms you 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 know, at a cognitive level you teach people why it's really important that they step up and, and take that. You also have to make them feel really, really safe in doing that. Let's say everybody's on board, and they believe that security is the right thing for the organization. They, they want to help manage risk. At that point, you have to empower them, and you have to reduce fear. And empowering is saying, if you get this wrong, and you challenge somebody that's maybe important, maybe it's a, a regional vice president that comes in, they just don't have their badge that day, and you challenge them and say, I'm sorry, you don't have your badge, we're going to have to take you down to security and make sure that you have clearance, that you're not going to get punished for doing that step. So you have to empower them, you have to reduce fear of punishment, and then you also, let's say there's there's fear of that person's own physical safety uh, in that. Uh, I've I've seen somebody that's suspicious I want to tell somebody, but I'm also afraid to do something about it because I don't, I'm afraid that that person is going to come after me. So I'm not going to physically go stop them. How do I do it? So at that point, you you kind of go back to the see something, say something mentality. But the one thing that's always missing in see something, say something is, here's the way to do that. So you have to follow up with, here's the phone number to call, here's the person to contact. At that moment, maybe it is somebody else's job to put themselves physically in the way of that other threat that they see and so it's not your job to be to take on the potential for physical harm it is your job to say oh there is a a potential for harm there let me contact the right person and, and do my part that way